Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, first this morning, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in um, this foreign land. Uh, we want to pray for the church there. I want to pray for the uh, Sinem Church. And for the elders who are leading the people of God there, Lord, we pray for their worship. Uh, we pray for their marriages, uh, that they will be a, um, a visual of the worship that they are walking in, that their gospel, that they're preaching. I uh, pray for Malik and uh, Olga and uh, for the other elders, that they will uh, just really be laboring over the scripture together, that they will be walking with the people of God, and that your church will beget worship in um, this city. Uh, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We're thankful for this opportunity to walk with our families over there and um, to walk with the church on the other side of the world. Lord, in these next few minutes, I pray that you will uh, just guide us, that you'll give us an attentiveness even beyond the noise, that we can engage your truth. And um, thankful for these little bitty voices and for the little hearts, little plots of soil behind them. And Lord, we pray that uh, you'll find us faithful to uh, sow into them as we sow into each other. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Turn to first, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> I have some brief instructions. I have some brief instructions for parents with little bitty ones. If your little one is just kind of cooing and making some, you know, pretty regular noise, that's okay. If they're screaming, you can take the little banshee. <laughs> we have a room right back there set up as sort of a cry room. And uh, don't feel embarrassed like Kai. <laughs> Just uh, you can go ahead and take them back there. Those of us who have been parents completely understand those who haven't been parents yet and think they won't ever have to deal, deal with that, they'll find out someday. So <clears throat> this morning, let me tell you too, this is going to be a very brief message. But it is a message. It's not a talky talk. It's not a devotional. It is a sermon, albeit brief. So it's important that we engage it together for the next few minutes. It's an appropriate, I believe, appropriate message for us to engage on this morning where we renew our commitment to each other and to our God as part of one another. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at one chapter here where Paul is writing to a young pastor, a young church planner named Timothy. Young worshiper might be a better way to look at it. Starts out in chapter 1, he says, But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. It's interesting to me that Paul is awaiting martyrdom. And he says, There will come times of difficulty. Considering all the things that Paul has gone through, he knows that his fate at this point is death by the hands of Rome or at the hands of Rome. And yet he says, There will come times of difficulty. And he refers to the last days. Last days' teachings are so dangerous and so tricky and so easily misunderstood. I understand there's a group of folks right now that are, are saying and teaching that Christ is coming back on the 21st of May. And they've even put up billboards to the effect. I don't believe our scriptures give us a date. Jesus didn't even know the date. 
So I think we're dangerous when we start to try and nail down a day on the calendar, but we can live attentive to last day's teaching. And these next verses are diagnostic of a last day's setting. Listen to them. Verse 2, he says, For people, now before I read this list, I want you to think for a moment if we're talking about believers or unbelievers. If we're talking about folks that don't know the Lord, that are not in church, or if we're talking about church people. Listen to the list. In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. Listen to some of them. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. Slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You hear that list right there and it reminds me of Romans chapter 1, the story of the human condition. Where man has traded the truth about God for a lie and God has turned them over and turned over man until man has this vice list that looks extremely familiar to this one. But you have to wonder, is he talking about... People that don't know the Lord are people that profess faith in Christ. The next phrase tells us. These people having the appearance of godliness, they are denying its power. Avoid such people. This list is terribly invasive. This is talking about church folk. This is not talking about folks that don't profess faith in Christ. This is talking about the church. In the last days, the church will look like this. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of money or lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, avoid such people. Paul is not one to recommend avoiding lost people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, listen. He's been writing to the church at Corinth about a dude that's living in full-on sin. And he says this, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And I didn't mean the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. He's speaking of those in the church. He says, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such a one. Paul is not saying avoid lost people. Don't hang around with them because you might get cooties. He's saying, don't hang around with church folk that live this way. Don't hang around with the people of God who are abusive, who are unappeasable, who are heartless, who are slanderous, who are without self-control. Don't hang around with people that profess the name of Christ, who have an appearance of godliness, but lack its power. Avoid such people. Man, was just simply the appearance of godliness. He goes on to say in verse 6, For among them, among these ungodly people, are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. 
Speaking of men within the church that have this modus operandi, creeping into households and capturing weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And here's the characteristic of these men. They're always learning, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's not talking about the women there. That's talking about the men. They're always learning. They're weekly hearing. They're all up in that church, weekly hearing it, but never really listening to it. Never really walking in it. It never finds purchase. It's never lived out. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Janus and Jambres were two guys that are not listed elsewhere in our Bible. Extra biblical evidence tells us that they are, were magicians in the time of the Exodus and that they directly opposed Moses. They would have been household names of opposition of God. For example... They would have been as familiar as Bonnie and Clyde and the Hatfields and the McCoys. Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, and so they opposed the truth, and they opposed God. They were men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding faith. Now, he's going back to those imposters within the church. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, in verse 10, he shifts gears. He's just been talking to a young believer, young pastor, young evangelist, young church planner, young worshiper about what not to be. And now he's shifting gears to what he wants him to be. And in verse 10, he says this. He says, you, however, you, on the other hand, would be a good way to read it. You, you in contrast to the ungodly, you in contrast to those leadership opposers, you followed my teaching. Listed number one. You followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, Tim, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters, these guys of verse 6, Go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Timothy, you followed my teaching even when it's been hard. Timothy, you followed my teaching even when you were persecuted. You followed my teaching while evil people and those who play faithful go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Man, there's a connection point I want us to get. This just wasn't a problem 2,000 years ago. This is a problem in the church. We would be arrogant and naive to think that somehow in 2,000 years of church life that the church has been eradicated of deceivers. We would be arrogant and naive to somehow think that in Greenville we have some sort of pocket of no deception. We have some sort of persecution free zone. Deception by nature, hear this, has an appearance of godliness And it has for 2,000 years. But time proves it's folly. And Paul says to Timothy, he says, as for you, Timothy, and this is the key word of the morning, continue. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and knowing how from childhood You've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This word continue means to remain. 
It means to abide. It means to stay in contrast with those who are about folly. Where it's not short or it's not long lived. It doesn't endure. It's short lived. In contrast to those guys, the imposters, you remain, abide, and stay. It's a present tense word implying ongoing action. Continue in what you've learned and believed. It's also in the imperative mood. In the Greek, there's these moods. We need exclamation points to show emphasis or exclamation. The Greek has a mood. This could appropriately be read, continue in what you've learned and believed. It's an ordinary word that doesn't sound like a command, but that's what it is. I'm commanding you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and believe. Other uses of this word continue. This will be familiar to you. John chapter 6, verse 56. Whoever eats and drinks me abides or continues in me and I in them. After he taught this, many quit following him. That's a hard teaching. John chapter 8, verse 31. The revival gone bad. It says, many believed in him, but he kept on preaching. And he charged them. He said, if you're truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By the end of the chapter, they picked up rocks to stone him. The charge there for abide is a charge that true disciples will continue. And then in John chapter 15, a very familiar passage. It hadn't been that long ago since we were there. I'm going to just read a brief excerpt of it. It's saturated with this notion of continue. Abide in me. Continue in me. Remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides or remains or continues in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide or remain or continue in me. On the eve of his cross, Christ is just telling the disciples, just continue. Just continue. And Paul is telling Timothy, just continue. Continue in what you've learned and what you've been convinced of. Other references in these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy, we, he gives some shape to that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he calls it good doctrine and the words of faith. Continue in good doctrine and the words of faith. Not smoke machines, not light shows, not dancing girls, not quippy, chipper, funny stories. Continue in good doctrine and words of faith, young Tim. Continue in sound words, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Sound words from our Lord Jesus Christ. What else you got to go to church? Man, that's all we need, bro. Sound words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching that accords with godliness. That's the other reference in chapter 6. Continue in those things and continue knowing from whom you learned it. In Timothy's case, he had three people that we know for sure invested in his life. His mama, his grandmother, and his mentor here and pastor, Paul. Lois, Eunice, and Paul. Paul says, know from whom you learned these things. And know also how from childhood you were acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, in the original language, this word childhood is what we're hearing so much of right now. Infants. Know, Timothy, 
how from your infancy you were acquainted with the sacred writings, which, by the way, make you wise to salvation. That's why it's sweet having the infants in here today. It's hard to listen and pay attention. But they're getting saturated in the truth, just like Timothy was, even right now. Now, some brief thoughts, very brief. First, continuing isn't very flashy or impressive. It's not like the word excel. Excel in what you've learned and believed, Timothy. It's not like advance or conquer or overtake or outrun or surpass or outshine. It's really a pretty unimpressive word, but it's the command that Paul gives a church planter, pastor, evangelist, worshiper. Just continue, Timothy. It sort of seems like a given, doesn't it? Seems like a given. In fact, you might be offended if I came to you, like say I came to my brother Jeff Ott. I want to make sure Jeff's paying attention so I call him out. Let's say I come to my brother Jeff Ott and I put my hand on his shoulder, Jeff. Bro, I don't want you to quit the faith. What do you mean, man? I'm not going anywhere. I'm offended that you would even say so. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Continue. Continue, Jeff Ott. Don't give up reading his word. Endure in walking with him. Don't let the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of riches suck you into the world and out of the people of God. Just continue. It seems like a given, but for Paul, it's not. Continue. It's not just enough to learn it. It must be walked in. It must be continued in. Present tense. Continuing has a trajectory. Second. Remember Paul's aim in life? Continuing has a trajectory. And the trajectory is absolute truth and ultimate reality. Continue in truth well learned. Continue in the convincing realities of God's story. Continue in these things that aren't flashy like good doctrine. Continue in words of faith, big words, the uncommon words you might not use every day like propitiation. Continue in those sorts of words. Continue in sound words from Jesus. Continue in words that accord with godliness. And continue knowing from whom you learn these truths. The thing I enjoy in this passage about the word whom is that it's a plural word. He didn't just learn from Paul. There was a group of people. In his case, we know for sure at least Eunice and Lois and Timothy. You may not realize it, people of God, but you are to be the whom for someone else. You're equipped for it every single week. Moms and dads, small group shepherds, you deacons, you children's teachers, you youth workers, you elders, you are someone's whom. You're their Lois, their Eunice, their Paul, their pastor, their brother, their teacher, their guide, their shepherd, their friend. Someone is to continue knowing you and your ministry. And there should be one, by the way. You're equipped for it every week. Lastly, continue knowing those sacred writings are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. This implies that there's such thing as ignorance to salvation. If it's the scriptures that make us wise to salvation, there's the implication that there is such thing as ignorance to salvation. Maybe the one who's ignorant to salvation thinks salvation is a trip down an aisle. That's not to diss anybody who's ever walked an aisle. 
I did at the age of six. But that was not my salvation. I'm walking in my salvation right now. Maybe ignorance to salvation is to sum up your salvation as some sort of event or some sort of youth group decision. That's not to damage any of those events. But let me tell you something. That is not your salvation. That's being ignorant to salvation. Maybe being ignorant to salvation is to consider yourself a good person. Thereby you'll be saved. That's severe ignorance to salvation. Maybe the one who's ignorant of salvation thinks salvation is a list of doable don'ts. Don't drink and don't smoke and you'll be saved. Maybe ignorance of salvation is thinking maybe if I attend church, I'll be saved. But all the while you may be hearing and not listening. The list of uh, doable don'ts is easily, easy to believe in or some of these other problems. Paul is telling Timothy, man, you need to connect to the sacred writings because those are the things that make you wise to salvation. Not light shows, not smoke machines, not dancing girls, not cute videos, not sentimental stories. It's the scriptures that make you wise to salvation. God's word is the medium and God's people are the means by which we are made wise to salvation. God's word is the language and God's people are the mouths that speak it and read it and sing it and teach it to make us wise to salvation. God's word is the conversation, the story, the lesson plan. And God's people like Lois and Eunice and Paul are the heralds and the messengers and the teachers. Continue, Timothy, knowing who taught you and knowing what you were taught Those things will make you wise to salvation. My burden today is for the people of God to be faithful continuing. Just continuing. Continuing in truth. Knowing from who you learned it. And being a whom for tomorrow's church. And knowing the sacred writings that make us wise to salvation. By God's grace and mercy, may we continue. Let's continue in the Lord's Supper together. Brad. As we consider how to remain, we don't, we're not called to work hard at not being in that list in the first part of chapter 3. But as Hebrews teaches us, we're to work hard at entering His rest. And what does that mean? It means that we work hard and we strive at entering the rest and trusting only in Him. In this body broken and this blood that's shed. That's what we work at. We work at entering and resting in that. And that produces a heart that sings and worships and lives in such a way that we walk in it. And we live in it. Hebrews 4 tells us we have a high priest We have a high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows our weariness. He knows that we need that rest. So we don't work hard at trying to be better. We work hard at resting in him. Because we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. And he says at the end of chapter 4 in Hebrews, he says, Draw near to the throne of grace. Come near to me. He doesn't just do it from distance. He says, Come to me and you'll find mercy. 
And that's what we rest in. If you're resting in that grace, resting in that mercy today, enjoy this supper with us. Broken, a body broken for us, and a blood shed for us. Let's rest in that, and we will partake together in it. And we will eat, and we will drink, resting in him only. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Weak, weary, worshipers, people of God, work hard at resting and eat. Till he comes back, take and drink. Father, as we continue in worship this morning and responding to the truth, to the gospel, responding to what you've called us to, um, the work you've called us to, to rest in you, to be... Um, the church you want us to be. We, our hearts sing and we respond in amazement that uh, a high priest has sympathized with us and called us to such a beautiful work. And um, we are grateful and we love you and we give back not to earn anything, but we give back in response and in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a few months since we were in John chapter 17, and when we were there, we had a series of sermons that dealt with oneness. We met this word, this ancient word called perichoresis, that talked about the dance of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are so intertwined and interconnected, interinvolved, that it's a blur, like a dance, and that the people of God should reflect that as Christ prayed for in John chapter 17. What we found in those series of sermons that, is that we are defined relative to each other. We come into the fullness of who we are relative the other people of God. So what we did as one of our exercises in small groups is we came up with family definitions with a model. This is the model I gave the small group leaders from the Gladiator movie. Manly. Here, Manly. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Watch who he's connected to here. Watch the connections, how he defines himself. Commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. He even has trajectory. And I aim in life, I will have my vengeance in this life or next. We use this as sort of a silly model, but a good model nonetheless for families to actually define ourselves relative each other. And relative our God, and even to develop a trajectory and direction. So what we're going to do next in these next few minutes, we're going to have a com combination of a few things. We're going to have a video while our deacons pass around the offering um, things. I don't know what they're called now. They're not plates. <laughs> Baskets, bags, offering bags, satchels. Uh, while, while our deacons pass those around, we're going to take up our offering during the video. And if you've brought one of these membership cards, drop that in the offering as it goes by. And I want you to be intentional about this as families. 
This is a time of worship, not just in giving, but also in participating in the expression of worship of the people of God. And also as in renewing your commitment to each other and to our God to truly be members and part of each other. It's so easy to just exist with each other. But we don't want to be intentional about walking with each other in a meaningful, accountable, Christ-glorifying way. So let's do all those things in these next few minutes. Parents with little ones, we're about to dismiss. Kyle and Casey, y'all come up here. Speaking of little ones, they have little Jillian with them. Um, Kyle and Casey, I met with them this last week. They've been meeting with us. They're worshiping with us for the last couple of months. And are coming this morning as members. They want to uh, become part of this body and, and want that to be a, a commitment to know and be known. Uh, want to journey together. We've, uh, they've had a chance to look at the, the covenant and even the constitution they've read through. And they said, man, we agree with this and want to stand in, in agreement with this body. Um, funny story, we had a little fun run yesterday morning with the Rafa Clinic. And uh, Kyle and Brent Money are coming one way and I'm going this way. And I put my hand up for a high five with Kyle, and Kyle just left me hanging. <laughs> just hanging. I turned it into like a fixing my hair or something, you know. It felt so stupid. <laughs> yeah. He knows he did it, too. Whenever we dismiss, y'all come up and meet them, okay? I'd like for them to know and be known, and uh, this is an initial opportunity for you to meet them. Invite them over for dinner. Or go ahead and make plans, conspire to do that, to get to know this family. Y'all stand for a minute. Let me give some brief instructions for the meal. The rain has sort of knocked us out of the tent situation. So we're, I think all the food is in this building from what I understand. So it's just going to be grabbing food and finding a place to hunker down and enjoy a meal together. So that can be in here. This isn't the Holy of Holies. You can bring food in here. So... Um, it can be in some of the other children's rooms if you want children to be playing. I'm thinking probably in order of March is let's let moms with little ones go up front just so they can get their kids some food. And deacons, let's help with that. Uh, help those moms with multiple kids. And then um, probably our, our families at that point, deacons and elders, let's bring up the rear uh, this morning or today at lunchtime. Let me bless this food and then I'll dismiss you where you can come meet Kyle and Casey and Jillian. Let's pray. God, you are so good. We are thankful for the time we've had together this morning. I'm thankful for the noise because it's the sound of tomorrow's church. Thankful that we have an opportunity not only to walk in faithfulness today, but to sow into tomorrow's church. Lord, we pray that by grace and mercy that we will continue. We love you, Lord. We're thankful for this opportunity to walk with Colin, Casey, and Jillian. Look forward to our time together, walking together, being equipped, worshiping together. Lord, I pray that Kyle will be equipped to shepherd his family each week, that he will connect, that not just to hear, but as a listener, walking in what he's heard. Thankful for this opportunity to walk together. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the food that we're about to eat. Thankful for your provision. Thankful that we have folks here maybe for the first time or maybe the first of a few times. Lord, I'm thankful that we have an opportunity to break bread together this morning. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.